You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. And welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to be in worship with you this morning. I wanted you to know we're so thankful for your prayers, for the golf tournament. Although you didn't keep the rain away, you did help us raise over $33,000 still for our mission partners, which is just so exciting to see your faithfulness. Um, and just it was just such a fun, memorable. <laughs> Today we continue our sermon series looking at the book of Acts. We are better together. We are better together, as Acts says, united in Jesus Christ, in all our diversity, in all of our differences. When we come together, we are better together in Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, we looked at the story of the early church deliberating on the question if Gentiles had to become Jews first before they could become Christians. Thank heavens, decided that you didn't need to become Jewish. You could follow Christ straight away. The church decided that our salvation depends on God's grace, not our good works, not our morals, not our special rituals. It is Jesus Christ's faithfulness to us, not our faith. Okay? Today our text in Acts 16 comes at a pivot point in the story of the early church. Paul is on his missionary journeys, and he wants to go to Asia. But the Lord says, and it comes to him in a vision and says, no, not to Asia, you're going to Macedonia. And so as we'll see, Paul and his friends, they get on a ship and they head to Macedonia. Before we read the scripture, let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher, that you by your spirit might speak a word only you can speak, that we in hearing about this great woman encounter with you, we might be opened up to encounter you as well. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Listen for the word of the Lord, Acts 16 verses 11 through 15. It begins, we. Now I want to highlight this fact because this is the first of four we sections in the book of Acts. Up until this point, Luke has been telling the story in the third person. He's talking about Peter. He's talking about Paul. But here Luke enters the story. He says, we, Luke, the writer, is on this journey together with them. Some commentators believe, actually, that Luke is going home to Philippi to his home, his home city. So we set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace. Samothrace was an island. It had a large mountain on it, and mariners would use it for navigation when they were sailing. And so they're heading towards Samothrace, they're taking a straight course. And the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We, there's the we again, we remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside of the gate by the river, where we supposed there was a place to pray. It's interesting, Paul, his usual strategy when he came to a new city or town, was he'd go to the synagogue on a Sabbath and he'd begin to preach. But there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi. There probably weren't enough Jews to build a synagogue. So the few that were there would go down by the river. 
where there was a, a place of prayer. And when they're down there, we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God. Again, we get this um, designation as a worshiper of God, probably Lydia was probably Greek. She was a worshiper of God, not, not Jewish. She found it compelling. She was there to pray. Maybe she was dissatisfied with the Greco-Roman mystery cults, with their rituals and idols. She was maybe dissatisfied with that and found Judaism compelling. So she's there, a worshiper of God, and she was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. She was a purveyor of purple cloth. It was a luxury item. It was made from dye extracted from murex shellfish. They would color the cloth. She was working on the upper end of the market. Think Gucci, Prada, Chanel. Okay, she's working with the elites. And so she's there listening. And the Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. Note, it's not Paul's persuasiveness. It's not his passion. It's the Lord who opens up her heart. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized. In the New Testament, conversion is a communal event. It's a much more communal culture than ours. We think in individual terms. But there, a, a whole household was baptized. They're converted. And when they were, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. The fact that to become fully Christians. They're part of this From later on, Paul will write a famous letter to the Philippians, that church in Philippi that he founded. And this woman, Lydia, from the elite of society, has become Christians, she and her whole household. I think about this woman, the river, to the place where they would pray. We don't know why she went down to the river. Maybe she was looking for answers to questions she could not resolve. Maybe she was dissatisfied with the Greco-Roman mystery religions. She'd become successful in business selling purple cloth. She bought it, must have been a large home. She was able to have three or four guests come stay with her at a moment's notice. But maybe success in business wasn't enough. Upper crust of society, folks that didn't satisfy her either. But every Sabbath she would go down to the river where there was a place to pray and she would make space for God. She was looking to encounter the God of the universe. Her faith was unformed and idiosyncratic, and yet she still opened up space to pray. She knew that those who seek shall find space for God to speak. I think Lydia presents a question for all of us. In your life, do you leave a space for God to work? Maybe you get up early in the morning to read your Bible and pray. 
Maybe you meditate when the kids are taking a nap. Is Sunday worship a priority for you? Or maybe you do yoga and listen for God's still small voice with your leg behind your head. (laughs) Do you set time aside for God to speak? Some of us get so busy, we don't even recognize how busy we really are. I'm reminded of that great scene in that great movie, Dumb and Dumber. (laughs) Harry tells his friend Lloyd about a conversation he'd had with his girlfriend. He's describing and portraying her as a nagging girlfriend. And Harry tells Lloyd, yeah, I called her up. She gave me a bunch of crap about not listening to her or something. I don't know. I wasn't really paying attention. I think many of us have this attitude when it comes to God. We're not really paying attention. But look at, look at Lydia. She doesn't even know for sure what she believes, but she's set aside time on the Sabbath for God to speak to her. I think in our in our culture of busyness, sometimes doing nothing can be the most revolutionary act. The 17th century philosopher and scientist Blaise Pascal called this kind of busyness distraction. He said all of the world's problems can be boiled down to the inability for people to be alone and quiet in their own rooms. Unexamined and thought activity can lead to a lot of problems. Look around. But before Paul ever shows up to share the good news of Jesus, Lydia has prepared time set aside to pray. So I'm going to ask you that question. When do you set aside time for God to speak to you? I don't think that has to mean that God speaks audibly audibly to you, although he may. Rather, God often wants to speak to us through the most common of elements in our lives. I'm reminded of the Swiss theologian. God may speak to us through Russian communism, a flute concerto, a blossoming shrub, or a dead dog. We do well to listen to him if he really does. As you know, one of the ways God speaks to me is through music. I love music, and I know I'm not alone in this. One of the genres I really enjoy is rap music. There's an artist from Atlanta named Killer Mike, and on his first record, R.A.P. RAP Music, he actually talks about this in the intro to one of his songs. I'll quote directly from it. He says, I've never really had a religious experience in a religious place. Closest I've ever come to seeing or feeling God is listening to rap music. Rap music is my religion. Amen. Now, a number of years ago, I had the honor of preaching at the Atlanta Presbytery meeting, and I quoted those words in my sermon along with some lyrics. Well, a pastor at the meeting was on Twitter at the time, and he tweeted at Killer Mike, Rev Myers, not your parents Presbyterians, is what he said. Drew Ditzel is the pastor who's there. He's a pastor at Kairos Church in Sandy Springs. And Killer Mike tweets back at, at Drew, says, what song did he quote from? Drew says, R.A.P. Music. Then Killer Mike says this, salutes Rev Myers, I've always loved the Presbyterians. I kid you not, it's on the internet, you can go see it. I've always loved the Presbyterians. It cracked me up. Sometimes God wants to speak to us in the most mundane ways. 
One of my favorite writers is the writer Marilyn Robinson, winner of the National Book Award, the Pulitzer Prize. She tells the story that was transformative for her when she was reading the American theologian Jonathan Edwards in college. Now, most of us probably read Edwards' famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It's a caricature, really, of Edwards' thought. I'd encourage you to read more. But he was brilliant and a sophisticated theologian, probably the only American theologian that even has a chance to get on the top 10 theologians of all time. And Marilyn tells the story about reading Edwards in college. And she comes across a footnote. She's the kind of person that reads the footnotes. It's a footnote about light. Let me read directly from it. These are Edwards' words. The whole course of nature with all that belongs to it, all its laws and methods and constancy and regularity, continuance and proceeding, is an arbitrary constitution. In this sense, the continuance of the very being of the world and all its parts, as well as the manner of continued being, depends entirely on an arbitrary constitution. For it doesn't at all necessarily follow that because there was sound or light or color or resistance or gravity or thought or consciousness or any other moment, that therefore there shall be like at the next. I'll explain this to you in a sec. All dependent existence whatsoever is in constant flux, ever passing and returning, renewed every moment as the color of bodies are every moment renewed by the light that shines upon them. And all is constantly proceeding from God as light from the sun. What is Ezra saying here? He's saying, God has created and sustains creation every moment. Every electron, every proton, every nanosecond, God is sustaining all of creation. He says, just because one moment follows the next, it does not necessarily have to be that way. It's arbitrary. See, we only believe that because it's out of habit. He says, it's like light. When you walked into the room, you didn't notice the lights were on. You took it for granted. But if I turned the lights off, you would say, oh, I took the lights for granted. And Edwards is saying, God is speaking to us through creation by sustaining it. We don't often acknowledge it until it's taken away. And I love that God opens up Lydia's heart to see the light. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. This woman defies many of the qualifications of who they would have thought God could speak to. First, she's a non-Jew. She's a woman. She works in an unclean industry. Here, God is speaking to her through Paul. God opens her heart. We know that there are times when Paul does not have the strongest feminist views. But here, he preaches faithfully and receives more than he ever could have hoped for. More than he could have wanted. This woman, this prominent woman, society converts and follows Christ. She and her whole household didn't expect it. Own song. You can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need. In Keith Richards' autobiography, his memoir, he references this song. 
He says he used to be a choir boy, and he loved being in the choir. He actually sang at Westminster Abbey for Queen Elizabeth II. He loved being in the choir. That's what he wanted. He said, but then he became a teenager, and his voice began to crack, and they kicked him out of the choir, and he was devastated. But then he goes on, he says, he wanted to be a choir boy, but what he needed was to be the guitarist in the Rolling Stones. Paul may have had all these assumptions about what he wanted, but it's not what Paul wants, it's what God needs. Paul needs to be faithful and God will work. God is the one at work speaking to Lydia, opening Lydia's heart. The text highlights that fact. God is the one who opens Lydia's heart. Some of you might be a little embarrassed by the claim God speaks. If you are, I'd recommend to you the book Divine Discourse by the Yale philosopher Nicholas Walterstorff. In it, Walterstorff develops a philosophical account to defend the claim God speaks. It's a brilliant defense using speech act therapy, speech act theory rather, to defend the claim God speaks. It says, people have said this down through the centuries that God has spoken to them, so how could we understand this? I once heard Walterstorff give a lecture on this theme and it was fascinating. And at the very end, he says this, I have now given you a defense that God can speak. Now, whether if he does or not is an entirely different question. How do we know if God is speaking? Well, primarily and centrally, we know God has spoken through his son, Jesus Christ. In Christ, God has said all God has to say to us in Jesus. The Bible bears witness to that fact, the Old Testament in preparation, the New Testament in witness. And so any other words we might hear must line up with Holy Scripture. If you're curious about exploring more of that question, I'd recommend Dallas Willard's book, Hearing God, Developing a Conversational Relationship with God. In it, he tells the story of a woman whose husband has just passed, and she has to give away his suits. And so she calls her preacher and she says, Rev, God has told me to give you my husband's suits. And the pastor says, thank you so much, that's so generous. She says, I just need you to come over and try them on. He says, well, that's funny because if God told you to give them to me, they'll fit. <laughs> Lydia has her life transformed because God has opened her heart. She had no idea when she was going to the river that day what was going to happen to her and how she would be transformed. She comes home an entirely different person. Her life has been totally changed. Reminds me of the story G.K. Chesterton tells in his 1908 book, Orthodoxy. He uses this as a little metaphor. Chesterton was a brilliant public intellectual Christian humanist Renaissance man. And in the book, he says he doesn't want to give a defense of Christianity in general, but he wants to explain how. And he says it's like if an English yachtsman has set sail from England searching for new lands. And he discovers what he thought was a new island in the South Seas, only to be surprised that he's discovered England. He says Christian faith is like this. We head out on our search 
and arrive at home totally transformed. It's an entirely new place. We come home as if for the first time. And just like Lydia left, could not guess or expect what would happen, she comes home completely transformed. And that's what happens when our hearts are opened for God to speak. God opened her heart, and God wants to open our hearts too. And so when we come together in that spirit with open hearts, we will be better together. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you have spoken through your son Jesus, borne witness to it in scripture. We ask that you might open our hearts, that we might hear you speak to us. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.